welcome in everybody to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL, what's going down in week one and what's going to happen in week two. We'll have our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. We will touch on the MLB and what's going down there. We'll have some NCAA news and coverage. And we'll have our best for last, which will be a way too early NFL power rankings. Now, remember, you can follow at JTime Sports on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for breaking news, highlights, and updates. And don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes and Spotify to support the podcast. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show, and wow, um, you gotta love sports, you gotta love the NFL, you have to love college football, Major League Baseball is exciting all over the place, uh, the NBA still finds a way to give us a story or two, we're not gonna touch on the NBA this week, we're gonna really focus on football, but the NBA is finding a way to give us a story every couple of weeks with these random GM voting polls, I mean, I mean, they're just trying to find a way to stay relevant, but training camp starts for them in a few weeks, and once that starts, we'll pick up some NBA stories. But in the meantime, this is going to be a football-loaded show. Like I said, we'll touch on the MLB, just like I mentioned in the intro. Um, I never like starting out this way, but Adam Schefter uh, reported that the Minnesota Vikings will be without Anthony Barr, their linebacker, their best linebacker, Christian Derrissaw, their best young offensive lineman. Everson Griffin, arguably the best defensive player, and Harrison Hand for Sunday's game against Arizona. Um, sneak preview of Jack's pack, pick Arizona. So, we are going to jump right into that crazy Thursday night game. It seems like the NFL likes giving us drama in primetime. Uh, we opened the season last Thursday with Dallas and Tampa being a lot closer than anybody expected. I predict the blowout. Um, it turned out to be incredibly close. It took Brady walking it off to beat the Dallas Cowboys. Um, and then Sunday night was the arrival of the Matt Stafford show into L.A. So the newest star in Hollywood is Matt Stafford. Monday night, you get the Raiders, which we'll talk about a little bit later as well. But you got that game win and lost and win. It, it, that game was insane. Then last night, you get a loss negated by an offsides that turned into a win. The NFL has been showing out in these first few games, especially in primetime. If, if you wouldn't have told, if you would have put this in a movie, what's going on right now, you put this in a movie, I wouldn't believe you. It feels very Disney Channel. It has to work out perfectly. Like, you know, it's just like, oh, it has to work out. Oh, this egregious call or something. It just has to come. It has to magically work out. Any every real sports fan on planet Earth going, that would never happen. And it is incredible. It's happening incredibly. It's absolutely insane. And like I said, we're going to jump right into the game. So you get the news. uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick with the hip subluxation. I don't know how to pronounce it properly. I'm not a doctor. It's not what I do. But basically, the hip ball joint is out of place. So the ball is out of, it's like a hip dislocation, but it's a little bit different. I'm not sure exactly why, why it's different. Again, I'm no medical doctor, um, but it's a little bit different than a traditional hip dislocation because the ball is like sometimes in the socket. I don't know. I'm not even going to try to explain it. 
Uh, I don't want to sound like a doofus. I just know for a fact that he's out. He's on IR anywhere from at least three weeks. Some are saying up to eight weeks. Um, no expectation he'll be out for the season, but he will miss a substantial amount of time. With that being said, that brings in the Taylor Heineke era. Now, I will be. I was interested to see if they brought in a veteran quarterback. And, of course, the big name out there is Cam Newton. Um, I don't think Ron Rivera wants to be in the Cam Newton business anymore. Um, I think if anybody else is coaching Washington, probably Cam Newton would have been an option this past offseason or two offseasons ago. Um, but I don't think Ron Rivera wants to be in the Cam Newton business anymore. Not particularly because Cam's a bad player. I just think that coaches have egos, right? And if you got fired at one place, pretty much because if Cam wasn't good enough to carry that roster, you don't want to be in another situation beholden to the same player. Uh, coaches have egos, and Ron Rivera may be looking for a third NFL job. I mean, I'm sure he'll stick around and watch it for a little while, but let's say he doesn't work out in Washington, he picks up a third NFL job. Well, teams may have a concern if the only time he seems to be successful is Cam Newton's quarterback. Um, and so I don't think he wants to be in the Cam Newton business anymore. Plus, it was a short week. You stick with the guys you have on the roster. We've seen Taylor Heineke play well. He played well against the Tampa Bay Bucks in the playoffs. Some may say he played the best of any other quarterbacks against Tampa Bay in the postseason. And so they roll him out uh, Thursday night. And then, of course, on the flip side, you have Daniel Jones, who's trying to stave off the Giants possibly going quarterback in the draft. It sounds insane, but this is a very now business now, uh, especially in the quarterback business. 18 to 24 starts, teams are moving on. If you, if you seem to not be the guy to lead them. Um, and so, especially with what Dave Gettleman's done now. They, yes, they don't have the world's best offensive line, but you got Saquon Barkley. You got Kenny Galladay. You got Sterling Shepard. You have Evan Ingram. That defense over there in the Giants is not bad. It's a pretty solid defense. And so, they're looking at Daniel Jones like you have a fumbling problem. Remember how remember how bad Jamarcus Russell was? Remember how like people was over Jamarcus Russell in like a season and a half, two seasons? For a lot of reasons. But his on-the-field production was widely regarded as horrid Daniel Jones has I believe 10 more turnovers than Jamarcus Russell in the same amount of time like so Jamarcus Russell's playing was horrid and again he was released ultimately for a lot of reasons not football related or not on the field football related but Daniel Jones on the field is more turnover prone than Jamarcus Russell right now in the same amount of time period by wide margin 10 turnovers in 20-something game difference, or 30-something game difference is humongous. Um, so, he has a turnover problem. He, he's a good quarterback. I mean, we're not going to sit here. I'm not going to sit here and say Daniel Jones is a bad talent. I'm not going to sit here and say he's a bad quarterback. I won't, I won't, I won't do that to him. It, it'd be flat-out untrue. He has talent, as we've seen. He ripped off a 50-something yard run that got called back. Um, he dropped an absolute dime up the sideline. Uh, he's got talent. It's just he has a turnover problem, especially fumbling the ball. Uh, it's going to be something that I know Jason Garrett, who's the offensive coordinator, has stated that that can't happen for him to be the starter um, or a long-term answer. Joe Judge, being a special teams guy, he's not a fan of turnover and a Belichick disciple. He hates turnovers. Um, all NFL coaches do. All coaches do in general. And so Daniel Jones having a turnover problem is an issue. So he's trying to stave off the Giants going to their next quarterback. Uh, like I said, you got Taylor Heineke making his third or fourth ever NFL career start. Um, and it was an absolute battle because it was the NFC East. And what would you expect anything else? It was two 0-1 teams from the N NFC East. And they might as well have been 10-0 teams because that was a war. 
Um, all kinds of great plays, all kinds of controversies. Like I said, I spoke about Daniel Jones' run being called back because of a um, controversial holding call, to say the least. Um, you have Taylor Heineke making a brilliant throw to Ricky Seals-Jones in the back of the end zone to double tap the feet. You have Saquon Barkley ripping off one of, looking like flashing back. He ripped off one of those long runs while the defensive end, Chase Young, is running step for step with them. Which was insanity. Saquon Barkley around 4-4-40, by the way, at the at the combine. So that gives you a hint of how fast Chase Young is on the field. Um, it is the game was insane. You had Sterling Shepard, like I said, making plays. Kenny Galladay blowing up at the sideline after he was pretty limited in the first half. Uh, um, the Washington football team bringing out J.D. McKenzie um, and his big impact on the game. But it all comes down to one play. Um, and I know football, we always like a sports in general. Every play matters, every play matters. Not particularly true. Um, I'm going to speak about that in a few games uh, over the weekend. That, yeah, all things being equal, every play matters. But in the grand scheme of life, if there's 65, 70 plays of offense, you probably can boil it down eight uh, plays that were not traditional mundane plays. This one, you can boil the game down to one. Um, so, First of all, the Giants go down the field. Um, Taylor Heineken throws a bad interception to James Bradbury. He has an issue with staring his receivers down. Bad, Bradbury recognized the rock combination, jumped the curl. Heineken never saw him coming, gets intercepted. That sets up the Giants with a really short field. Now, Washington defense finally stood up. They had an issue getting the Chargers off the field late in the game. The Giants trying to execute the same plan and couldn't boil it down due to a Darren, Daniel Jones Aaron throw to Sterling Shepard. Um... They kick the field goal, they go up. Heineke drives Washington down the field excellently. Great job, Heineke. Gets him down the field. Um, they caught a couple of breaks in terms of coverage, lapses, and stuff like that, but they get him down the field. They line up a Dustin Hopkins field goal. All oh, the distance escapes me, but it's posted, it's posted on the Justin Times Sports Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook if you want to go rewatch it. Um, and he misses it. Right, but neither side has timeout. So traditionally, you know, you always get the warm-up kick. Basically, a coach always calls timeout right before the snap. Uh, right after you nod, the coach always runs down to the ref, calls timeout. The play doesn't happen, etc. So neither side had a timeout. Washington have a timeout. Giants have a timeout. So there was no practice kick. Dustin Hopkins kicks it and it slides right. It's just right, but he misses. Flag on the play. The Giants are celebrating. It's over. The Giants are celebrating. Washington is pointing towards the Giants like the flag's on them. And then the announcer goes, wait, I think he was. I think they're going to call offsides here. And if it's offsides, of course, it's a defensive penalty. Games cannot end on defensive penalties. Per league rules, a game cannot end on a defensive penalty. So now everyone's looking around like they're going to get another shot at this. The insane part about all of this is the offending party was Dexter Lawrence, who was the number 17th overall pick out of Clemson, I believe, in 2018. He's the, he's the offending party in this situation. So he had to line up offsides directly over the ball, like as close as you can legally get to the football on the special teams rule without being head up to the gunner or the long snapper, my apologies. He was right there. He was as close as you could physically get. So if anybody could see they were offsides, it's him. He lines up offsides. 
they get to re-kick and Dustin Hopkins almost missed it again, but he drills it this time and the Washington football team wins it. They're one and one. The New York Giants are two and are zero and two. They asked Dustin Lawrence today uh, over Zoom press conference. He said the ref called what they called, um, insinuating that he uh, does not believe that uh, they asked him if he thought he was offsides. He said it's not for me to decide, basically. That feels like a guy who knew um, or thinks that he was onside. That he was not outside. He not lined up in a neutral zone. Um, you got you guys know me. Anytime I start talking slowly because I'm reading something. Uh, Jeremy Fowler uh, of ESPN just reported that uh, Bears rookie offensive tackle Larry Boren, Borom, um will has a high ankle sprain and is a possibility to go on short-term ir so again ir same situation as ryan fitzpatrick uh he can miss three weeks with um he has to miss at least three weeks with ir as you guys know the pup list is six weeks um so but anyway he is so larry borum um offensive tackle for the bears could be going on ir with a high ankle sprain but so that puts the NFC East into a little bit of context in regards to last night's game. So that puts Washington uh, um, in second. That has the Eagles in first. The Cowboys are third and the Giants are fourth by default. They've already lost two games. Cowboys only lost one. Uh, so crazy game last night. It continues the craziness that has been the primetime games this year. Like I said, you got... Dallas almost beating Tampa. You've got the Matt Stafford has arrived game. You've got Lamar versus Carr, and you got last night. Absolutely insanity. What a way to start week two. But we can't move on to full on week two until we talk about week one. Uh, per usual, uh, if you guys are new to the show from last year, um, I will pick a handful of games, or we will pick a handful of games, rather, for a lot of interest in certain games uh, to talk about, discuss, touch on, and before moving into week two. And so that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to jump right into the Green Bay Packers and the New Orleans Saints. We ain't got to spend a lot of time on this because it wasn't a game for very long. Uh, Green Bay looked like a team that was dealing with BS all offseason. Um, Green Bay looked like a team that quarterback was considering retirement all offseason. Um, Green Bay looked like a team that did not know if they were even going to have the current quarterback starting for them on their roster. Uh, Green Bay, like a team that was dealing with, like I said, BS all offseason. And the Saints was like a team that either, although they're still dealing with the effects of Hurricane Ida, have they been uh, practicing at TCU in uh, Fort Worth, Texas, I believe. Uh, they've been practicing at TCU. They, have, they haven't been home since Ida hit. So I'm sure family and our friends is reporting back what's going on, but they have not been home since Ida hit. Um, they are a team that had a quarterback competition up until the last week of the preseason when James Winston finally securely beat out Taysom Hill. And they absolutely destroyed a was well, thought of Super Bowl favorite or Super Bowl contender in the Green Bay Packers led by Aaron Rodgers 38 to three in Jacksonville. The game was set in Jacksonville. Obviously it's supposed to be in New Orleans, but they moved it to Jacksonville. Um, absolute destruction. That game was insanely bad for the Green Bay Packers. Rodgers had two picks. He had a fantasy points. He had one, 1. 1.8 or something like that. He had one fantasy point. 
Um, he would have had a higher passer rating if he would have spiked the ball every play as opposed to playing how he did. Uh, spiking the ball every play gets you a 38.3. Uh, I think he was in the teens in terms of passer rating. Uh, worst game of his career. Worst loss of his career. Worst game for the Packers in probably 20, 30 years. It was an absolute destruction. To quantify how bad it was, Jameis Winston threw five touchdown passes. He barely, and I do mean barely, broke 100 yards passing. The 55-yard touchdown pass to, um, can't think of his name, Lewis, I believe is what he threw it to, broke 100 yards. Up to that point, he had less than 100 yards and four touchdown passes. That means you're on a very short field a lot. So Green Bay was flat out dysfunctional. Uh, kudos to New Orleans. I had you guys finish second in your division. I actually picked you to win that game. Um, and so kudos to New Orleans for coming through and making me look like a genius. Uh, I didn't think you're going to beat them 38-3. to But I appreciate uh, New Orleans coming out there, buttoned up, dealing what they're dealing with at home, and still blowing out. Uh, like I said, a Super Bowl contending team, which means I may have New Orleans a little bit underranked. I may have Green Bay a little bit overranked. I believe that Green Bay still win the division. Not hard. You got Detroit, Minnesota, and Chicago. And I believe that New Orleans finished second in the division. Again, not hard. Carolina and Atlanta aren't any real, real threats. But Tampa Bay is Tampa Bay. So nothing changed as far as season outlook for those teams. But maybe how they're ordering the power rankings could shock you. We're definitely going to see about that. Another game that shocked me was Arizona and Tennessee. I picked Arizona to win this game because Tennessee can't pass rush and you don't force Kylo to move. You just allow him to stand there and use those weapons. He's got an A.J. Green, Christian Kirk, DeAndre Hopkins. Um, he's going to score a lot of points on you. The offense is built to score points, especially when unpressured. Tennessee can't pass rush equals disaster. And that's what happened. Now, I did not anticipate. I did not anticipate Chandler Jones going to get five sacks. I did not anticipate that at one point in the third quarter, Derrick Henry would have 11 carries for 10 yards. Um, I did not anticipate Ryan Tannehill looking that bad. Now, I did mention that I don't know if it was Ryan Tannehill being great or Arthur Smith being good. So far, 0 for 2 because Arthur Smith led Atlanta, and that wasn't great either. They only scored six points, I think, against the Philadelphia Eagles. So that wasn't good either, but Ryan Tannehill may have looked worse. Um... Gary Henry definitely like he missed him. Arizona went crazy. Kyler Murray had five total touchdowns, four throwing, one rushing, including a crazy play where he's dodging bodies everywhere and flips it to DeAndre Hopkins in the back of the end zone, who goes up over a DB, taps the feet. It was it was it was vintage Kyler to DeAndre. Um, absolutely wild. Um, what was going down in, in Tennessee? It was a road game as well. And so Arizona came out, showed that my dark horse MVP candidate in Kyler Murray is real. Um, that me having them as my dark horse playoff team is real. So kudos to the Arizona Cardinals for a hell of a week one. A little bit of breaking news. Uh, first reported via uh, Matt LaFleur during his press conference today. Uh, Green Bay Packers, defensive end, linebacker, edge rusher kind of guy. Zadarius Smith is heading to IR um, due to his back injury. Uh, LaFleur said something along the lines of, why not have him as healthy as possible for later in the season? So they've been thinking about long term, but a Packers defense that just gave up 38 points is now going to be without its best pass rusher. 
Um, so Detroit just scored a lot of points fast on San Francisco. And now they get to get Green Bay without its best pass rusher and a defense already reeling. Jared Goff isn't terrible. I'm not a Jared Goff fan, but Jared Goff isn't terrible. So if I'm Green Bay, I may be on a little bit of an upset alert um, if I am the Green Bay Packers. The game's with Darius Smith heading to short-term IR. Um, remember that game I said I was going to talk about that was a little crazy? Las Vegas and Baltimore? That game was insane. So, we all know Baltimore's injury history got worse over the week. Uh, one of their cornerbacks tore meniscus. Um, we all know Baltimore's injuries this, this year. They're down three running backs. They're down Marcus Peters. They're down offensive linemen now. Ronnie Staley's out now. Um, you know, they're down that cornerback. Seems like they got an injury everywhere but quarterback so far and kicker. Um... And Las Vegas is Vegas, you know, Raiders, they're opening up uh, Allegiant Stadium. They're calling it the reopening because this is the first year they can allow fans in because Mark Davis made it abundantly clear. If we can't have everybody, we're going to have nobody. Um, so he, this, he calls it the grand reopening. Fans are allowed in the stands. Regular season football, Raiders are back. Uh, the Death Star is officially open. And it was a spectacular scene. They had Bruce Buffer who does the UFC uh, pre-fight announcing, or the, yeah, pre-fight announcer guy, he was there. Um, his brother did the Monday night game, who does boxing, a lot of the boxing matches his brother does. Uh, but he did, he does UFC, Bruce does UFC, so he did the Raiders game. It was spectacular scene, right? And so we're gonna get all the way down, back and forth game, especially in the second half. None of that really matters with the last two minutes on overtime. That was wild. Uh, you have Lamar Jackson leading the Ravens down the field. Uh, Justin Tucker kicking a field goal with 37 seconds or 40 seconds left. 37 seconds left. Yeah, 37 seconds left. And then Derek Carr, two beautiful strikes down the field with no timeouts. So Derek Carr didn't have a timeout. It's 37 seconds with no timeouts. It's a touchback, so there's no time. Two throws. He's in field goal range. Uh, their kicker makes it to send it in overtime. Then the Raiders get the ball first, drive down the field. Throw an interception. So, not even, not even that fast. They drive down the field and get to the one. They get a false start on Alex Leatherwood, which is ironic because that was the player that everybody said was the biggest overdraft in the first round was Alex Leatherwood. Why? Well, he got a penalty problem. <laughs> they get a false start call on Alex Leatherwood, back it up to the six. Carr throws a strike. Probably too hard of a strike and a little, no, even a little bit out in front. Too hard of a strike to Willie Sneed. Bounces off his face, uh, or bounces off his hands, hits a Ravens defender in the face, bounces off his face, lands on a Ravens defender's arms. This proceeds to Baltimore getting the ball. Lamar Jackson fumbling, thanks to um, Max Crosby and Kyle Nassib pressure. Lamar Jackson fumbles. Gets the ball to the Raiders back, and they nail the game-winning field goal. Mind you, I skipped one of the major details. The play right before the false start, the Raiders thought they won. Derek Carr throws a pass. They thought they stretched it over into the end zone. The cannons are going off. The crowd's going crazy. Both teams are celebrating, or the Raiders are celebrating. The Ravens are looking defeated. And then all of a sudden, you start getting the, the whispers like, oh, they, they're, they're checking it to see if he got in. And then that's when they decide he didn't get in. That's when the false start. Then the pick. Then Lamar Jackson's second fumble of the night. 
Then the Raiders win the game. It was absolutely insane. John Gruden said it felt like he died, won, and died, came back to life, and died again. Um, they felt like a cat with nine lives. I've never seen anything like that before. Absolute insanity. Um, it was absolutely wild. What a way to open Vegas. It could. It was a very. It was a very Vegas script. It was wow. It did, however, shine a little light on the Baltimore Ravens issue. Also, I picked the Raiders to win that game, if you guys remember. So I wanted to bring it up. I picked the Raiders to win that game. Why? Because Greg Roman's offense, while people call it simplistic and it's outdated, yeah, it's a little not perfect, especially at this point in Lamar's development. I think he needs another offensive coordinator to force him to be a better down-the-field passer. I know that's not what he does best, but he's not going to develop anymore in Greg Roman's system because he doesn't have to. Um, but it's a lot of mesh point. It's a lot of feel. It's a lot of read. It's a lot of stuff that Latavius Murray has never run. That uh, Devontae Freeman has never run. Uh, the Tyson, Tyson Williams, I think is his last name. Tyson Johnson, maybe. Um, the rookie who had the big run in his first ever game. He played the best high end of the running backs. He's not better talent-wise than Latavius Murray. He's maybe better than Devontae Freeman now, but he's not better than Latavius Murray. But the, the system, the mesh point, the comfortability there is a lot higher with him than it is with the other running backs, especially after all the injuries. Um, as I said, I wonder how well Le'Veon Bell um, is going to adjust to this kind of system. He's not really used to a read and react system. He's never done it before. So I wonder how he's going to adjust. Um, but they have the perfect practice squad quarterback and Tyler Huntley to practice everybody. I mean, he's like a Lamar Jackson clone. They even kind of look alike. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny. They even, like I said, they even kind of look alike. They they pretty much mirror each other in a lot of ways. If you close your eyes and just listen to a Tyler Huntley play, you'd probably hear a lot of the same things that people say about Lamar. So it it's kind of cool. They kind of have a perfect quarterback to get these running backs used to the system. But that mesh point system is a very hard one to learn, especially if you've never done it. Le'Veon Bell has never done it. Latavius Murray's never done it. To my knowledge, Devontae Freeman's never been in that kind of system either. So those guys are going to take a couple of weeks to get used to running, especially full speed, especially game speed, because you can't replicate game speed in practice. And then the two bigger games of week one, Buffalo-Pittsburgh. Uh, again, we nailed the Pittsburgh pick, correctly picking Pittsburgh in that game. Uh, you don't get Big Ben off his spot. He's going to torture you even at this age and stage of his career. Buffalo can't pass rush. They haven't have a pass rush problem. And the front seven caused Josh Allen to revert a little bit back to old Josh Allen, um, which had to be a little concerning for the Bills uh, management and ownership group who just agreed to pay him a half billion dollars or a quarter of a billion dollars uh, for his services over the next few seasons. And Pittsburgh caused a lot of disruption. They didn't score in the first half and they were only down 10. And then the offense woke up, the defense maintained their ferocity, and the Pittsburgh Steelers won that game. So, again, that was a situation where you look at a, a bad matchup. Same thing I talked about Arizona and Tennessee. I said the same thing about Pittsburgh and Buffalo. There was the bad matchup for Buffalo. Uh, they may even have a worse one this week with Miami. Uh, but we're going to talk about that a little later. And then Cleveland, Kansas City, that showed you the difference between great and good. Plain and simple. Uh, Patrick Mahomes was down his best pass rusher, down his best total defensive player in Tyron Matthew. Baker had his full complement of people that he ended last season with. No Odell, but he didn't have Odell last season at the end. Um, and Pat came back. Baker had two drives to make a big difference and to really win the game. Three and out, interception. 
Patrick Mahomes given every opportunity in the second half for scoring touchdowns. That's the difference between great and good. And that's why I think that uh, Baker is being long game by the Browns organization. He wants $40 million. I don't see $40 million. I'm comfortable paying Baker anywhere below 33, 34. Um, even that feels high, preferably 20 something, 28, 29. I mean, I, I don't see the, I don't see the big difference between Derek Carr and Baker Mayfield. I just think Derek Carr is better and Derek Carr is not going to sniff $40 million. So I don't think Baker Mayfield should either. I, uh, like I said, Baker talent-wise is probably at this point third best quarterback in his division. Lamar one, Joe two, Baker three, Ben four, and the last two are optional depending on the day. Um, I I don't know what Baker's whoever evaluated Baker was ever telling Baker his evaluation over evaluated him, uh, but definitely um, they're gonna play the long game with him. Week one was not a good one for him in terms of getting that evaluation number high. We're going to definitely check him out in week two. Keep our eye on the Baker Mayfield situation. All right. Now we're going to take a break. This segment has been a little long. We're going to jump right into week two on the other side of this quick break. guys and welcome back into the show we're gonna stick with the nfl and we're gonna move into the preview portion of the show uh, i have a strong belief anybody can tell you what happened some with more detail than others some with more nuance and flair than others but it is a much harder and a much more impressive business to be in the prediction business so i figured why not give you guys both and we're going to jump right into the preview of the Dallas Cowboys and the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, the Dallas Cowboys are coming off what their fans have tricked themselves or convinced themselves or talked themselves into being the best loss in team history. You've got guys like Skip Bayless on television calling it the greatest loss in team history. You've got their fans running around talking about moral victories, which I strongly believe do not exist in sports. Uh, that is not a thing. Speaking of this game, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network is reporting that the Chargers have placed Brian Balaga on injury reserve, and they have signed Michael Schofield III to take his place on the roster. So that is Brian Bulaga, offensive tackle for the Chargers, uh, longtime Packer, has been placed on injury reserve. Uh, so does that affect this game a whole lot? Not really, because Dallas had to replace, or we could possibly place, Demarcus Lawrence on injury reserve. They're going to be without Randy Gregory because of COVID protocols. The defense is already bad. Give up a ton of points to Tom Brady. Um, your offensive line is healthy now. Zach Martin's back, so that should help against Bosa. But I don't see how Dallas can win this game. You already talked yourself into a bunch of more victories for uh, for Tampa Bay. Congratulations. Kudos to the fan base. I hope they enjoyed it, I guess. I don't know how that helps you from being 0-1, but hey, whatever. Um, and now the Chargers pretty much did what they wanted against when they needed to. A good Washington team on the road early. Uh, West Coast to East Coast travel. 
14 to 19 on third downs, boiled and eliminated the last six plus minutes of clock against a very good front four of Washington. Uh, the Chargers held the ball for the last six minutes of the game. Justin Herbert looked calm and composed, didn't look very rattled. Uh, Christian Derrishaw, uh, sorry, Rashawn Slater, rather, uh, the offensive tackle rookie out of Northwestern, his first ever game against Trace Young. Um, Blank Chase Young. There was no he didn't he had 43 pass snaps, did not allow a pressure or a sack all night. So that seems to be the answer at left tackle for the Los Angeles Chargers. And now you're telling me that Dallas does not have their two best pass rushers, and you're going against a good Chargers offensive line. Um, and you've got all those weapons with uh, Mike Williams, who laughed at the Cowboys secondary. You've got Keenan Allen. Um, you know, you've got Austin Eckler and a comfortable Justin Herbert. That feels like a recipe for a lot of points to be scored on Dallas. And it's in Los Angeles, uh, home of the Super Bowl this year. That feels like a recipe for a 40 ball uh, from the Chargers. So I'm looking at that game to be somewhere around 42. Let's go with 41-27 Chargers. Um, I would go a little bit bigger, but I would think that Dallas would get some garbage yards when they start chucking all over the field and abandoning Zeke. They'll get some garbage yards. I don't see a scenario where Zeke can run you to this victory. Uh, the Chargers have a pretty good linebacking core led by Kenneth Murray, his second year out of Oklahoma. Derwin James is back, and Bosa's good against the run. So I don't anticipate Zeke having a very big game here either. Uh, like I said, I'll go Chargers 41, Dallas 27. Um, score closer than the game played. Even if Dallas scores a little bit more points, maybe 41-34, game definitely closer. Uh, score definitely closer than the game will play. New Orleans is everybody's darling right now. Everybody's dark horse dor- darling. New Orleans Saints is playing the Carolina Panthers and my guy Sam Darnold. Um, now this is a home game for Carolina. So being that it is a home game, it is going to be something that New Orleans is going to be a true road. So week one for New Orleans in the Jameis Winston era was not a true road. It was kind of neutral site-ish. Uh, there was a lot of New Orleans fans there, but there was a good amount of Green Bay fans there as well. And the stadium was nowhere near full. Um, so it was kind of a neutral site game in terms of crowd, in terms of energy. Um, definitely neutral site. Now you're going to go in a true road game versus a Carolina team that has a pretty good defense. Uh, they held the Jets, I believe, to eight points. I don't recall the Jets scoring after that. Um, and Sam Donald's in a very good offense. And so in terms of scheme, he's got talent around him. DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey, obviously. He's got Joe Brady's offensive coordinator, famously the passing game coordinator slash receivers coach of the 2019 LSU team uh, that's deemed, in my opinion, the greatest offense of all time in college sports. Um, you've got a head coach in Matt Rule that believes in him. You've got an organization led by John Tapper, the owner, that believes in Sam Darnold. And so he's given that confidence. On the flip side, you've got New Orleans riding high. Jameis Winston, like I said, five touchdowns, although he tried to throw a couple of interceptions. He actually did throw one. It was called back thanks to roughing the passer. But I'm going to go in this game. I'm going to go with Carolina with the upset. I believe New Orleans is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I would take Carolina with those odds. I believe might even bet up to four this morning. Um, but I would take Carolina. They have a, they don't have the world's greatest defense, but they do have a very good way of ball controlling on offense. So uh, they have young corners, their best corner is a rookie, J.C. Horn. 
Um, they don't really have a lot of big names on defense. Uh, they draft the defense pretty decently, though. They don't have a lot of big names there. Uh, it's definitely not the Luke Keekley defenses of a few years ago. But I just believe they're going to pull this game out. Um, New Orleans is down a pass rush in Marcus Davenport. They don't have the world's greatest offensive line, so Cam Jordan could be an issue. But you do have a guy like Christian McCaffrey who can cause a lot of headaches. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here and pick Carolina to win this game 27-24. I just believe that Darnold's going to make a couple plays. Jameis is going to finally have one of those picks get thrown in a bad spot. Uh, so I'm leaning Carolina 27-24. It's a division game. Throw the record out. Throw the talent out. Throw the expectations out. Never, Nothing ever goes the same for a division game. This is kind of the rule in the NFL. If it's a division game, throw it out uh, in terms of records and things like that. This is a division game. It's the first one. Either of them are playing this season. And so we're definitely going to be keeping our eye on that one. Uh, I believe it's a noon kick if you're in the central time zone, one Eastern if you're in the East. Minnesota versus Arizona. Now, this is, this is an important game because it is two teams I had on the playoff bubble where I say you're not going to win your division. You're going to be a wild card fighter. And I believe I put both of them in. I had Arizona just out in my last ranks. I need to go back and look at that. Both of these teams are fringe playoff teams, in my opinion. Minnesota lost a heartbreaker in uh, overtime to Cincinnati, a team I had winning 10 games. Um, so Minnesota lost a heartbreaker to Cincinnati in week one. Now they're going to go to a red-hot Arizona team. And now Minnesota's down several key players including a couple of big names your best pass rusher your middle linebacker you one of your offensive tackles are all out and you've got an arizona team that is absolutely feeling themselves after uh throttling the tennessee titans in week one on the road now they go home friendly confines full arena um it is going to be an interesting game i'm going to go arizona here 30 to 20 uh, I just don't see how Kirk Cousins stands up very long with Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt feeding off the edge. Isaiah Simmons and Jordan Hicks are flying through the middle. Uh, Kyler Murray and that offense is humming. Now, the Vikings do have Patrick Peterson, so that may be affecting DeAndre Hopkins, but I don't know who's going to guard Christian Kirk or who's going to keep um, the rest of those weapons off the board. And so I'm going to go Arizona 30-20 to here, and Arizona gets a 2-0 uh, head start plus the tiebreaker on another team that could be competing with them for the wild card in the Minnesota Vikings. The Los Angeles Rams will visit the Indianapolis Colts. Um, that game is going to be interesting due to the fact of it is two quarterbacks. It's new, it's old faces, new places. We had that segment last week introducing these guys in their new location. We saw what Matt Stafford did on Sunday Night Football. It was an absolute show. Now you got guys like Peter King saying that that was barely even page one of the playbook. They have so much that they can unveil because of Matt Stafford's ability to get the ball over the field. They can do a lot more creative things than they could with Jared Goff. That Sean McVay cannot be happier with that. And so because of this, I am going to go, uh, and you look on the other side, Indianapolis. Frank Wright's aggressive. He loves Carson Wentz. He had to definitely approve of, uh, approve of getting Carson Wentz because he was his offensive coordinator uh, during Carson Wentz's would have been MVP season uh, when he tore his ACL and his MCL uh, against the Rams, ironically. Um, so Frank Wright likes Carson Wentz. He likes being aggressive. Uh, and so I think that Indianapolis is going to give them a fight. Uh, picking this game, I'm going to have to lean Rams. I don't see how anybody's going to slow them down right now. 
especially if the reports are true that they have only revealed a little bit of the playbook so far it is going to be a very and i do mean very hard uh thing to overcome because you don't know what you're preparing for like the rams shot the bears all over the field but what if the rock concepts are different uh the timing's different on the throws the pocket mobility the arm angle stafford throws with where he's trying to hit it's it's all new so it's going to take people a few weeks to get enough film to try and get a pattern on sean mcveigh because he's playing with a new gun you know it's sort of like going from a water pistol to a bazooka you know your range is different what you can do with it is different the damage you can cause is different and so when you have a situation like that um it is definitely something that is new territory for a lot of defensive coordinators trying to defend the rams it's going to take a few weeks to get that team under control because of which i'm going to go with rams 27 24 over the indianapolis colts uh tennessee is playing seattle this week and buffalo's playing miami so we're going to touch on both these games really quickly then we're going to move on into jack's pack after another short break Tennessee is playing Seattle. Now, remember that I said bad matchups, and I'm going to talk about these games at the same time and tell me if they don't sound familiar. Remember I spoke about bad matchups earlier? I said the Titans and the Cardinals were a bad matchup for the Titans, and Buffalo was a bad matchup for Pittsburgh. Tennessee is a bad matchup for Seattle because Tennessee cannot pass rush, as we saw against Arizona last week, and apparently they have a hole or weakness in the offensive line because Chandler Jones had five sacks. Well, the Seattle Seahawks don't have any major pass rushes. I believe Carlos Dunlap is back. But if you're not going to make Russell Wilson think about it, you're not even going to make him, like, try to move, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are going to have a field day. This is a really bad matchup for Tennessee, especially having to travel west after getting throttled at home by Arizona. And they're going to have to get another one of the NFC West contenders in Seattle. Uh, this game might get a little ugly. I'm thinking, especially Russell Wilson early in the season, I'm thinking 34-20 uh, Seattle with the victory over Tennessee. And then you flip side, you go to Buffalo. Now, the difference with Buffalo-Miami is Miami doesn't have Seattle's offensive capabilities. But what they do have is they do have Tua Tagovailoa, who is very accurate and very good, like most NFL quarterbacks, when he is not rushed. Buffalo can't pass rush. To make matters worse for Buffalo, they can't run the ball. Miami sports one of the best back fours in the NFL. You have Byron Jones and Xavier Howard in that back four. You've got Jason McCourty running around playing safety. And you've got a good, a pretty decent pass rush up front. And Buffalo's offensive line succumbed to Pittsburgh's uh, defensive line and edge over the course of that game. That's a bad matchup for Buffalo. Now, again, their only saving grace is Miami won't score 30, 40 points on you. I see them maybe scoring 24 in this game. So I'm going to go with Miami 20, Buffalo 17. Uh, I believe that uh, Miami is going to win this game, take a pretty good 2-0 lead, beating two division opponents. Buffalo will fall to 0-2. And so that is what I have for my Week 2 preview. And we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to jump into our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. Alrighty guys and welcome into the show. 
you guys know what time it is. It is time for our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. We had a winning week last week. We went three and two. Uh, I missed on the Colts, and I severely missed on Jacksonville. Um, really believed a little bit too hard in the Trevor Lawrence, Urban Meyer hype, and I severely underestimated the veterans for the Houston Texans. That's my bad. I take full responsibility on that one. Not even going to try to blame anybody else. That one's on me. But we called the Raiders beating the Ravens straight out. We called the Steelers beating the Bills straight out. And we called the Saints beating the Packers straight out. All three were underdogs. So, of course, when the underdog wins, you pick them. You automatically win the, the points spread. But now, so we are 3-2 and two so far this season. We're already doing better than last season. Like I said, last year we were under 50% during the regular season. But we killed in the playoffs. I only missed one game the entire time during the playoffs. We're going to keep that rolling. We're going to keep the energy flowing. We're going to jump right into the pack of five this week. And the first game we're going to have, we talked about it a little earlier. I even told you the score earlier. Uh, Minnesota versus Arizona. Arizona minus 3.5. Go with Arizona there. Minnesota has dealing with a lot of injuries. Uh, all odds are provided by the ESPN app. Minnesota is dealing with a lot of injuries. I already thought Arizona was going to win this game by about a touchdown or so. Add in the injuries. You got to go Arizona there. Minus three and a half. That's an easy one. New England minus six versus the Jets. So this would mean New England basically had to win by a touchdown or more in order for you to win this game. I'm going to go with New England here. Bill Belichick has a sterling record against rookie quarterbacks. Uh, Zach Wilson was thoroughly confused by the Panthers defense. He scored eight points, I believe. If you think Bill Belichick's not going to confuse him, you got another thing coming. So I'm going to go with the Patriots here to win by 10 or more, uh, which easily covered that spread. Another one of those I thought was pretty easy uh, this week. I loved the number when I first saw it. I thought anything under nine was stealing, and they get it six. So we're going to go with uh, the, the New England Patriots there over the Jets. Uh, if I had to pick a score, I think I'm going to open up Zach Wilson a little more. 27-10, 27-13. I think it'll be particularly close in the noon window. Um, the Patriots win that game. Chargers in Dallas. Another game I talked about earlier. Pretty much in depth. So we're not going to dive too, too far into it again. But remember, Dallas is dealing with a bunch of injuries. They have no Demarcus Lawrence. They have no Randy Gregory. Zach uh, Martin is back, but you know you don't have a great defense. You can't pass rush Justin Herbert. You're gonna have a long night. He's one of the top seven most talented quarterbacks in the NFL. Adding you, you give him weapons such as Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Austin Eckler, you've got a problem. So I think Justin Herbert's gonna be very comfortable. Three and a half felt a little low. I was thinking five, five and a half. Maybe I'd go Dallas, but three and a half. Take the Chargers. Swallow the points. Uh, three for three so far in favorites feels like a bad idea, but I, I felt pretty confident in this number as well. Go with the Chargers here, swallow the three and a half, go with the Chargers. Cincinnati on the road versus Chicago, Chicago minus two and a half, take the Bengals. I don't know how the Bears are favored here. You get three points traditionally for home field, which means in a neutral site, it'd be basically pick them. And the Bengals would be a half-point favorite. So, I don't even think Vegas would waste our time because you can't win by half a point. You know what I'm saying? They would probably just call pick them. I have no earthly idea how the Cincinnati Bengals are underdogs here. I saw this number and laughed. I believe it was actually higher when the odds came out. I think it might have been three and a half. And you got bet down to two and a half because everybody's realizing this is stealing. This is probably my lock of the week. There is no way 
The Minnesota Vikings are better than the Chicago Bears, and the Bengals just beat them. Barely, but beat them. How in God's green earth are the underdogs to the Chicago Bears even on the road? It's not a far road game, it's Ohio to Illinois. I mean, I, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't get this one, Vegas. You, 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 I, don't, I don't get it. I completely do not understand how this possibly happened here. Cincinnati's going to win this game outright. I don't even know why this is even a discussion right now. Andy Dalton's still the quarterback? If Andy Dalton's still the quarterback, Cincinnati's going to win this game outright. Um, so I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Bengals here to win this game, I think, by about 10, 27-17. I don't believe in Andy Dalton scoring a lot of points. And the Bengals with Joe Burrow is going to score. Now, the Bears do have a good pass rush. Khalil Mack can make some things uncomfortable. And the Bears have a pretty good secondary. They can make things uncomfortable. But if your offense is going to be anemic, which the Bears' offense is going to be until they pass the range to Justin, Her- Justin Fields rather, and get an offensive line, Joe Burrow is eventually going to crack it. And the fact that all I need him to do is keep it on the two and a half, three, oh, I feel very comfortable in this. I'm going to go with Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals to flat out beat the Bears. Um, so definitely pick the Bengals. And then Kansas City on the road uh, versus Baltimore. Kansas City is three and a half point favorites here. Take Kansas City. Baltimore, you saw what they did against the Raiders. They couldn't stop the Raiders, and basically all the Raiders had was Darren Waller and Zay Jones. You think they have any shot against Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and Patrick Mahomes. All three of those players are better than anybody on the entire Las Vegas Raiders roster. Maybe except Darren Waller. Darren Waller may be a better tight end and Tyreek Hill is a receiver. That's the only debate you have. Yeah, I don't understand how Baltimore has a shot here. They didn't get healthier overnight. They actually got more hurt. They lost their offensive tackle. Orlando Brown is down. Now Orlando Brown, uh, he got moved to Kansas City. Um, Ronnie Staley is back down with his knee injury. Chris Jones is back. So they're going to pass Chris Jones down the line until he finds a weak spot and then unleash him. Ty Matthew is back. Your mesh point running backs, they got another week to practice, but the offense is still rudimentary. And now you've got to keep with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, good luck. I'm going to go with Kansas City here by about 14. This may get spooky. Um, I believe it's a primetime game. It may be over fast. We may be looking at 27-13 or 27-10 and a half. Final score, 40-20, It won't be close at all. I'm going to go Kansas City big here. So just to recap, remember, all these are against the spread. Arizona over Minnesota, New England over the Jets, Chargers over the Cowboys, Bengals over the Bears, Chiefs over Baltimore. Again, I don't understand that Cincinnati Bengals line at all. I may be one of the people who have the most faith in the Bengals, but come on. I don't understand how you say, possibly can say, Cincinnati is a underdog to the Bears. Play the game on the moon, the Bengals are better. I, I, I don't I don't get that one at all. But up next, we're going to shift to Major League Baseball and talk about what's going down in the MLB. All righty, guys, welcome back in. And now we're going to take a look at the MLB as they are rounding third base of the season before going into the playoffs. 
the as for of course when there is a new sport so we're not we're gonna start doing this with the nfl probably around week six or seven in terms of giving like the standings where they sit because week one is kind of pointless too many teams have won you know too many games it's it's just why about week or seven the creme de la creme separates the bottom starts to lose then the middle's jam-packed but we're gonna start doing the nfl standings probably about week six or seven uh but when we do a new sport traditionally we jump in we start with their standings so in the national league if the playoffs were to start today that's how they would be seated the giants are one the brewers are two the atlanta braves are three the los angeles dodgers are four the st louis cardinals are five and the san diego padres are six and in the al the Tampa bay rays are one the houston astros are two the chicago white Sox are three then the wild card are the Toronto Blue Jays four, the Boston Red Sox five, and the New York Yankees six. So the AL wild card can be shuffled, flipped entirely over by three days from now. They're all separated within a half a game or a game. It's incredibly tight for the AL wild card. And the bottom of the NL wild card is just as tight. The Padres and the Cardinals are going to be battling over who's going to be what. Um, in terms of seeding for the wild card with as close as they are. Uh, the big news coming out of the MLB is that the Seattle Mariners were awarded the 2023 All-Star Game. So that is huge for Seattle. Uh, I'm not quite sure when the last time the All-Star Game was in Seattle, but to have a major sporting event in Seattle, especially, especially an All-Star uh, Game, is absolutely spectacular for uh, the city of Seattle. It's gonna draw a lot of eyes to the city, a lot of um, a lot of attention on the sport in the city. Uh, so Seattle first hosted it in 1979. Uh, they hosted it again in 2001, uh, and they uh, have not hosted it since 01. So the, like, the owner has said that it's going to be an opportunity to give Seattle an opportunity to celebrate the entire region and to um, showcase the beauty of Seattle in that time of year. It's apparently Seattle looks great in the summer and it's an opportunity to showcase the region and the city uh, to the world during that time of year. So absolutely spectacular. Um, they upped their bid and they upped how they were going to do it when the MLB came back to them saying that, hey, how are we going to, you know, do you guys want it? You can push for it. And they ultimately pushed for it and they were rewarded. So congratulations to the Seattle Mariners organization and the city of Seattle. Uh, that's a win for the city. That's a win for the area and the local economy. Uh, Shohei Otani may not pitch the rest of the season. Um, the Angels are way out of the playoff picture and he's been dealing with soreness so they are potentially shutting him down for the rest of the season um, in terms of pitching he'll still field and stuff like that but he may not pitch the rest of the year if he is done he'll finish with a 9-2 record um, with a 3.36 ERA which is great for a normal pitcher but then you add in the fact that he's also one of the top 10 hitters in baseball it's ridiculous. The guys a video game, like I said, they changed the way MLB the show is made and played because of him to even give you the ability to be great simultaneously at pitching and hitting to learn 
okay, I'm going to build, you know, a pitcher and a hitter. They had to rebuild the video game to allow you to be him in real life. Um, absolutely ridiculous. Shohei Otani, we spoke about him a couple of times saying that it is insanity uh, what he is doing this season. I mean, it's just it's just wild what he's done. And um, he, he said it coming over from Japan. A lot of people, myself included, didn't believe that it was going to be possible for him to do at the major league level. It may have gotten him hurt. Uh, he did have Tommy John surgery due to the fact of he was doing double duty. But at the same time, it is tremendous to see. It is historic to watch. Uh, it puts Babe Ruth to shame in terms of, you know, people give Babe Ruth the ultimate credit for being the pitcher hitter. But Babe Ruth only started one game in his career for the Yankees. So he was a primary hitter. and He didn't pitch that long for Boston. So what he's doing, nine and two record, while also batting the averages he's batting is just flat out ridiculous. So Shohei Otani, if he has done this season pitching, will have finished with a great pitching season along with his immaculate hitting. Uh, but that was what we had to touch on for the MLB. That was a little controversy about an umpire potentially throwing out a grounds crew and he denied it. That was just weird. It wasn't necessarily newsworthy. It's just weird. Who throws out a grounds crew? It's just odd. Baseball's being weird again. Um, but that was what we had to touch on the MLB. And up next, we are going to talk about the NCAA football making some news uh, over the past week. So I have intended to start this next segment discussing USC. We're going to lead into that. Um, but LSU, we're going to talk about them twice in this segment, actually. Uh, LSU has made some news. They become the second team in the country, first in the SEC, to have an official gaming and uh, gambling rights partner in Caesars. So they, the Caesars Sportsbook, Caesars the company, and LSU has partnered with, has partnered to give uh, Caesars the official rights to the uh, gambling side of LSU Athletic Department. Um, what it does is, well, from the press releases I've seen so far, it gives Caesars the right to a skybox. Um, it gives Caesars naming rights and signage rights throughout the campus. Um, and it provides fans with unique, fans and alumni with unique engagement opportunities. Not sure what that is yet, they're keeping it pretty vague. But the signage is available. I mean, they play tomorrow. Signage is going to be up tomorrow, uh, as early as tomorrow. They have the rights to do what they got to do starting tomorrow, uh, which, you know, is huge because Caesars also obviously has the Caesars Superdome, which is the NFL uh, New Orleans Saints Stadium. Caesars has them as well. They're the official name rights as well. And uh, like I told you guys before, I'm in Baton Rouge. I've, dri I've driven around Baton Rouge a few times, obviously. And I'm starting to see Caesar Sportsbook coming soon on several billboards with the app advertising. It's uh, sports gambling is almost legal in Louisiana. It's, it's illegal, just hasn't been officially ruled out yet. Um, so like our casinos don't have it. The apps don't work here yet. But once those things are done, uh, you'll be able to go place your bets like most other places in the country. Uh, but college athletics, LSU specifically, are going all in on the gambling thing. 
Um, so big news out of the SEC and out of LSU that LSU and Caesars have partnered to make Caesars the official sports book of LSU. But I'm going to go into my original first point with USC for letting go Clay Helton after an embarrassing, and I do mean embarrassing, loss to Stanford. Uh, they have considered making this change over the past two to three off seasons and haven't. Um, mainly because he would have some late win or they'd want a bowl game or something would happen where, you know, you would get a little bit more faith in Clay Helton, but they decided to let him go um, throughout the past week. And, of course, USC is available. It, it, ever since Pete Carroll, it's kind of been a turnstile of coach. You've had Lane Kiffin. You've had Clay Helton. Uh, they had another guy in there, Sarkeesian, Steve Sarkeesian, was there uh, as well, who actually did a pretty good job at USC before Personal Demons uh, attacked him, unfortunately. But... The names coming out about this job are the ones you would expect. First name I heard, Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer's not leaving Jacksonville. He can't. He can't leave Jacksonville. He he physically can't leave Jacksonville. And on top of that, Urban Meyer's already said how much he hates. And I do mean hates the new college football lifestyle. It's a bunch, it's a it's cyclical. He said there's no off time. He's like, you're recruiting 365 a year. Now you got the transfer portal. Now you got NIL. You know, it's something else you got to manage. He said he hates the new college recruiting cycle specifically. And that's even before NIL even came out. So, Urban Meyer's going to go back to college. Okay? Urban's off the list. And he vehemently denied it. His wife loves Florida. Their, ho- their home is in Sarasota, Florida. He's not going anywhere. The next big name that came out, big, big name that came out, Eric Bieniemy. He's from L.A., you know, he's got L.A. roots. He seems to be getting, keep getting passed over for NFL jobs. USC will pay him $9, $10 million to come. There's no buyout uh, probably from the Chiefs. They'll pay him uh, $9, $10 million a year to come coach USC. Good idea. Great idea. I actually love the idea. He's from, he's from the area. He knows how to recruit the area. Clearly, he knows offense. He has the whole look what I turned Mahomes into chip. Hey, he's got a claim. But I think Eric Bieniemy wants to be an NFL guy. Although, if Eric Bieniemy, six, seven million dollars coach an NFL team, three year contract or five year deal, probably from USC, making nine million dollars a year. Because I would, if I'm, if I'm USC, I'm using the NFL as leverage. Like, look, I can be an NFL head coach any cycle, any hiring cycle now. And I'm probably the next man up here in KC if, if I stick around that long and, and DeRee decides to walk. I'm probably the next man up here. I would leverage that to get eight and a half, nine million dollars out of USC. Plus, I say the taxes are higher. So you're going to have to pay me a lot more money to get me to come out here. You know? So, I, I mean, I would Airbnb is the top guy. But, I mean, here's names that I'm sure USC. And then, of course, Matt Campbell at Iowa State. James Franklin at Penn State. Um, pretty much Ed Ogeron was asked about it. Um, it's one of those things where you gotta to the, you gotta deny it. You know, as you as you're, you have to deny it. Uh, any anybody with any ties to USC formerly was asked about it or was rumored. I think Eric Bieniemy should be number one. And the name I'm not hearing a lot is Bill O'Brien. Okay, Bill O'Brien. I bagged on him on this show. I eviscerated him about the DeAndre Hopkins thing. Bill O'Brien, the coach, was done a great disservice by Bill O'Brien, the general manager. 
Bill O'Brien, the coach, can coach his tail off, and they were actually quite successful when he was just GM. But when the GM was let go or left, Bill O'Brien took over GM duties, and the team tanked immediately. Bill O'Brien, the coach, can coach. He knows offense. He knows how to put people in the right position. And at USC, he'll have better players than eight or nine teams on his schedule every year. So he will be able to dominate recruiting. He knows the NFL. He knows recruiting. NIL won't scare him because he's used to living with millionaire players already. Now he had his issues with DeAndre Hopkins. Um, I haven't really heard anything else about him besides DeAndre Hopkins, but he had his issues with D-Hop. Um, but NIL, he, you know, a talented USC team is going to have double-digit players making millions of dollars. Google, YouTube, Facebook, Silicon Valley are all in the area. So millions of dollars are going to be rolling to the USC program for players. If Bill O'Brien's going to be the guy there, or any guy there, you're going to have to not be afraid of your players making a million dollars a year or, you know, or more. Bill O'Brien won't worry about that. Deion Sanders is a name that floated, but then kind of came back. And, you know, I think Deion's on a mission at Jackson State. Um, I mean, if he left Jackson State today, he would leave the he would leave HBCU football and the SWAC specifically better than he left it. But I think he's on a mission right now at J-State. Um, but US, USC and Deion Sanders, look, Deion, we don't know how good of a football coach he is. We know he knows secondary. We don't know how good of an external strategist he is. Pay him six, seven million dollars to come and then pay like crazy his staff. Get him the best OC you can find, the best defensive coordinator you can find, and just have Deion Sanders be what a head coach is. A guy to look over the program and a person that is whole purpose to recruit and to manage the program, which he's doing a great job at Jackson State and to build the brand. That's what he's doing at Jackson State and for HBCUs in general. I don't think he'll leave Jackson State right now um, because I think he's on a mission there, but Deion Sanders and them I think of. So my top three, if I'm USC, is Eric Bieniemy's one from the area, Bill O'Brien's two. Sark went to the so Nick Saban built a basically coach rehabilitation program at Bama. Brian Dable, no Lane Kiffin was the first one. Now look at Lane Kiffin, head coach Ole Miss. Then it was Brian Dable, offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. Then it was Steve Sarkeesian, head coach of Texas. Now it's Bill O'Brien. All in the offensive coordinator role. Um, and so Bill O'Brien let him ride out the season in Alabama and then get him on a plane first chance you get to Los Angeles to see to gauge his interest in um, USC. Clearly, he's comfortable coming to the college game. You know, a lot of times those fired NFL head coaches want to stick around the NFL, whether they want to be a quarterback coach, whether they want to be offensive coordinator somewhere. They want to stick in the NFL game. Do a Mike McCarthy, sit out a year and come back. Um, but he went straight to the college game, so clearly he's comfortable there. Like I said, he might be comfortable as the head man at USC, and I would definitely uh, build around that. So just to repeat, you know, I'm looking at Airbnb. I'm looking at Bill O'Brien. I'm looking at Deion Sanders. I'm looking at a Joe Brady. See if he's interested in coming out of Carolina. Well, what do all my guys have in common? They're NFL guys. I'm not looking at, I'm, no offense, Matt Campbell is a fine football coach. He's a hell of a football coach. He's coaching in Ames, Iowa. James Franklin is coaching in Nowhere, Pennsylvania, Happy Valley, Pennsylvania. I'm not even sure that's the real name of the place. That's what they called it for so long. Happy Valley, Pennsylvania. Now, I, if I'm USC, I do call Lincoln Riley and make him tell me no. I do call Ryan Day and make him tell me no. I, I, you know what I'm saying? There's a few coaches. I do call the coach at Miami, Manny Diaz, and make him tell me no. I made Dabo Sweeney tell me no if I'm USC. 
I made Kirby Smart tell me no if I'm USC. Now, every, every, and you know, those are the five. I would go NFL route um, or a superstar mega coach college football from USC. Don't go get the guy from Ames, Iowa. Don't go get the guy from Happy Valley, Pennsylvania. They're not used to LA. They're not used to what LA's going to bring, especially when NIL payments come through. Don't, don't, don't do that to yourself, USC. You'll be looking for another guy in three years. Oregon, UCLA, and Colorado have announced the arrival of the Pac-12. UCLA put a hurting on LSU in week one. Oregon upsets Ohio State in the shoe in week two. And Colorado nearly takes out Texas A&M. If they could have scored a touchdown, they would have beat Texas A&M. The Pac-12 has arrived. They've, they've taken a few years to get the right coaches in there, to get the right recruiting in there, to get the right facilities in there. But the Pac-12 has re-arrived. Remember the Marcus Mariota days? Pac-12 was up there too. Think about Pete Carroll, USC, his dominance. The Pac-12 is very cyclical. They're usually on a trend before uh, before others. And then when they everywhere catches up, then they have to refine something else. Now they're gonna look like they're gonna play the big boy game with the power with the other power five schools. They're getting big offensive linemen. They're getting fast, tall receivers. They're recruiting how the South recruits, just with West Coast kids. And so the Pac-12 is arriving. Big shout out to the Pac-12. Welcome back to the land of the Power Five. Because for so many years, especially when the playoffs started, you lose in the Pac-12, you were out. The Pac-12 champion often had to be undefeated. I'm not sure the Pac-12 has had a representative in the playoff yet. I think they've been shut out. Maybe they might have had it one year. Um, and so you pretty much have to be undefeated out in the Pac-12 or you get pushed out of the playoff. They'll take a one-loss SEC non-champion over a one-loss Pac-12 champion in the playoff because of strength of schedule and the perceived dominance of the conferences. So good job on the Pac-12 coming up this year, showing that there's real talent on the West Coast. The Big 12 has made a move. They have absorbed four universities, uh, Houston, BYU, Cincinnati. Oh, I can't think of the fourth school right now. BYU, Cincinnati, Houston. Oh, and UCF uh, is the fourth school is the four schools going to join the Big 12 to get them back to 12 football playing schools. So they will finally be back at 12 schools for the first time in over a decade. They've been at 10 schools, even with Oklahoma and Texas, Oklahoma and Texas Jets. They absorbed those four programs to really widen the grasp of the Big 12, because now the Big 12 goes as far west as BYU and as far east as Cincinnati and UCF and as far north as Kansas. So. The Big 12 has a very large footprint um, throughout the country now. So definitely going to be something to keep our eye on there. But kudos to the Big 12 for fighting back. Um, LSU is in a bit of a mess right now. Um, they're scrambling all over the program. They're trying to figure out what to do. Um, it always rounds to come a punchline nationally. You know, I heard Colin Cowherd say something similar like, Oh, you don't want to be like LSU and stuck with a guy for years and ruin, you know, your program going down and stuff like that. They've got to get that figured out. Uh, Central Michigan's this week. I expect the easy victory. I'm an LSU guy. I expect the easy victory. Um, and then you turn around and around, you got Mississippi State, who embarrassed you last year. You've got to figure that out if you're LSU. You can't let Mike Leach air raid you to death again. Um, he don't even have the quarterback he had that year or Kylan Hill. So... Honestly, it's it's uh, the seat's pretty hot at LSU. Okay, USC's open in terms of a job. So if LSU's gonna make a move, they're gonna have to fire it over on fairly quickly, I would assume. And then that way they start the national search to say, hey, okay, you can go to USC and have to low-key rebuild it, 
or you can come to LSU ready-made program and just keep rolling. Um, so that is something that people are going to have to consider. And you don't have the LA pressures. Everybody here loves LSU. It's a situation where LSU is Baton Rouge in terms of the city and the financial economy. You don't have to compete against 17, 18 pro sports teams in LA. You've got the Saints and the Pelicans are the only pro sports teams in the state when they're an hour and 15, an hour and a half away. Um, so LSU is going to have to have a decision after this season of Ed Ogeron goes seven and five. Um, six and six. They're gonna have to make a decision. Five and five, then turn around seven and five. Do you really want to risk six and six the following year? Where you can go get one of these top candidates, a Matt Campbell. Um, now I do Matt Campbell in Baton Rouge, but a Matt Campbell or somebody like that. Do you really Bill O'Brien? Do you really want to risk that um, if you're LSU? So they've got a lot of decisions to make. Texas ain't back. Um, they got destroyed by Arkansas, which, in my opinion, is a sixth or seventh best SEC school. They got absolutely punished by um, Arkansas. And so they're making a quarterback switch as well. They're going with the veteran. Uh, they're sitting card, who's the young guy. They're going with the veteran. With the transfer portal, these kind, of decision, these kind of decisions may have to be made more for keeping the quarterback as opposed to that being the better quarterback. But ultimately, Bill O'Brien decided to go with the veteran over the young guy card. And the big game of the weekend, Auburn goes to Penn State. Um, huge game. Happy Valley will be rolling. It's a whiteout planned. So it's it, it's kind of seen what's 100,000 strong and all white clothes, swinging white towels. It's absolutely amazing to see. Um, but the record for Penn State in the last 12 whiteouts, I believe, is 6-6. Six and six. So there's not, they're not unbeatable in a whiteout. Now, Auburn's going to have to continue the dominance of the SEC when they go up there. Uh, my prediction is that Penn State will win the game, 27-24. Uh, uh, I don't think either team is going to crack 30. Auburn's offense is a work in progress. Um, they don't, their coach has only been successful at Boise State. He hasn't really coached anywhere else but Boise State. Um, and so he's going to have to, to me, his first big time true road game as an Auburn head coach. Bo Nix isn't the world's best quarterback. I'm going to go with Penn State there at 27 24 due to home foot advantage. But up next, we're going to have our NFL power rankings in our best for last. and welcome back into the show and now we're going to have our best for last which is going to be our nfl power rankings now a few of these teams i talk about a lot like i love them and they're a lot lower in my power rankings than you would suggest than you would think however and teams i don't like very much are pretty high in my power rankings for now uh i take week one every year with a grain of salt and then week two this thing may look totally different so we may instill this every week. Um, I said I might not do another until week six or seven, but if there's massive changes, I definitely want to keep you guys updated on that. May do it every week. We'll see what happens, see how I feel. We're going to start at the bottom. And 32, we've got the Jags. 31, I have Atlanta. 30, I have the Jets. 29, I have the Giants. 28, I have the Lions. 27, I have Houston. 26, Chicago. 25, Minnesota. 24, Tennessee. 
23, my favorite dark horse, the Cincinnati Bengals. 22, one of my favorite quarterbacks, Carolina, Sam Darnold. 21, the Colts. 20, the Washington football team following their big victory on Thursday Night Football. 19, the Eagles. 18, the Patriots. 17, the Broncos. 16, the Raiders. 15, the Cowboys. Very tentatively, they may end up swapping with Cincinnati by the end of this weekend. 14, the Packers. 13, the Ravens. 12, the Dolphins. 11, the Chargers. 10, Bills. Number nine, Pittsburgh Steelers. Number eight, the Cleveland Browns. Number seven, the San Francisco 49ers. Number six, the Arizona Cardinals. Number five, the Seattle Seahawks. Number four, the New Orleans Saints. Number three, Matt Stafford's Los Angeles Rams. Number two, the defending champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And number one, the Kansas City Chiefs basically win a tiebreaker over Tampa Bay by virtue of beating the better team. So that is how we have it. I'll run through the top five one more time. Chiefs, Bucks, Rams, Saints, Seahawks, uh, with the Cardinals nipping at the Seahawks heel. So that is my NFL power rankings. And that is all we have for today's show. I hope you guys enjoy. Um, I hope you have a great rest of your weekend. Don't forget to follow Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at JTimesports. And lastly, do not forget to like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you have a great rest of your day. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.